Hello again, welcome back to Pursuing God, the life of King David. Kurt and I, um, over the last several several months, are just working our way through, uh, thinking about David's life, trying to, to pause on specific moments along the way where not only are we learning about the information that God gives us in regard to David, but we're also learning about ourselves, trying to understand the heart behind um, the, the events in, in better understanding this man in pursuit of the heart of God, uh, asking some questions along the way as far as where we fit into all of this and how God is at work within us as, as Christians today. Uh, last week, Kurt led us through a, uh, a study of, of Psalm 23, this beloved psalm, a psalm that we turn to time and again, uh, not because we don't have any other place to turn, but because it gives us strength and comfort it affords for us, offers us uh, that which we cannot accomplish on our own. This week, we're going to we're going to build upon Psalm 23 and uh, go about it in a in a way that uh, might not quite be expected. But what we want to do is to draw some some parallels with an event in Jesus's ministry. And so, rather than turn to the Psalms, or rather than turn to turn to an event in in David's life. I'm going to ask you today to begin with me in John chapter 6. And in John 6, we have this recording of uh, the feeding of the 5,000. This is an event that's recorded in the other gospel accounts as well. Um, it's so very helpful whenever you have just these, these different perspectives that are presented within the gospels themselves. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, um, all... Um, they're referred to as the synoptic gospels. That, that, that word just means they're seeing the same. There's so much overlap, so many, so many similarities along the way. John comes along really uh, years later, decades later, and he writes uh, the gospel according to John. And John, who's a part of Jesus's ministry, who, who's there and who's present for so many of these events, Matthew as well, but John who's present and a part of so many of these events, he writes decades later, just expecting, okay, you guys have seen Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You already know the information that, that, that's in there. But hey, I was there. Those guys left out some really good stuff. And so I'm going to include some things along the way that are really going to be helpful you know, for your journey of faith. And of course, John led by, the, uh, led by the Holy Spirit. And so in John chapter 6, we have this event of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Um, 5,000 men, if you look at, at the different descriptions. And so how many people were there, men, women, and, and children? Uh, you know, there are estimates of 20,000 plus. And so not just 5,000 people, but 5,000 men, um, all these perhaps tens of thousands of people that Jesus feeds um, here on the, the seashore of, of Galilee. What, what sets up this event is is the reality of John the Baptist's death. John, has, John the Baptist has been beheaded uh, under the direction of, of Herod. And if you, if you look at the other uh, gospel accounts, you see the events that lead up to Jesus and his disciples sailing from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other. And their purpose in traveling to the other side of the Sea of Galilee is to regroup uh, to spend some time together, uh, to spend time in, in prayer, and to be able to, to focus as a, as a small group of, of friends, 
um, these followers of, of Jesus. John, the, 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 the Baptist, to remind you, is Jesus's cousin. He's six months older. God, um, God has John the Baptist in, in this role of preparing the way for, for Jesus's ministry, um, at preparing people's hearts to, to receive the, what Jesus is going to, to say and to do um, during his ministry. And so following his, his death, Jesus and his disciples sail from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other. Begin with me in verse 1 of John chapter 6. Some time after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. John, who is, is Jewish, um, who is, is wanting to make sure that he doesn't um, alienate a single portion of his, mm-hmm. of his audience. And so he's explaining this to both, both Jew and, and, and Gentile. Uh, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs that he had performed on the sick. So these crowds are following Jesus because they see the miracles that he's performed. But when you look at John's gospel in particular, John does not refer to miracles as miracles. John calls them signs. And in doing so, what John is saying is these are Yes, they're miraculous, but these are events that point beyond the events themselves. They point beyond the miracles themselves, and they point, they, they are signs that, that God is true, that God is God, and they're also signs that Jesus is, is God's Son. And so a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs that he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus, verse 3, went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples the Jewish Passover feast was near. So this is springtime. Jewish Passover feast uh, was near. Uh, there are a number of Passovers, um, that three different Passovers that John will describe in his gospel account, um, really helping to give us a, a good chronology of Jesus's ministry. Of course, Jesus's, Jesus's crucifixion and resurrection also set within the, within the background of uh, Uh, of Passover. The Jewish Passover feast was near, so it's springtime. When Jesus looked up, verse 5, he saw a great crowd coming toward him, and he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves, and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves and gave thanks. He distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten them. And so Jesus takes this this boy's sack lunch. He miraculously um, is able to feed all of of these thousands and thousands of people by multiplying this this food, so much so that everyone is, is satisfied. Even when you look to what was left over, you have 12 baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves that are left over by those who had eaten. Um, the description of, of the number five, uh, perhaps pointing back to the Pentateuch, 
Mm. First five books of, of the Old Testament. The number 12. This is, an, this is intentional stuff on, on God's part. This is intentional stuff on John's part as John is writing this. Um, but the number 12, 12, 12 baskets that are filled. And that number 12, there are 12 tribes of Israel. There are 12 apostles. It's this number of wholeness, this number of completion, uh, this number of, of being, uh, being filled, um, or this number of, of wholeness. And it's just interesting that you have 12 baskets that are, that are filled with what's left over. I promise I'm going to stop for a moment and take a breath and, and we're, <laughs> we're going to talk, but let me keep reading. Keep going. Uh, verses 14 and following. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, did they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and to make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. If you go on, you'll see that uh, Jesus sends the disciples by boat to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus uh, goes up on this mountainside to, uh, to pray, uh, to, to accomplish what he had set out to accomplish to, to begin with. He spends time with God. Um, I'm really tempted to spend more time with Jesus walking on the water and all of that, just mm-hmm. because it's, it's, it's awesome stuff. Jesus, in the middle of the night, while it's storming, and rain, you know, raining and storming, and uh, you know, the text says that he he looks and he sees the disciples toiling and rowing is what the uh, King James version reads. Uh, they're struggling as they're trying to get across the the Sea of Galilee, um, which is seven miles at its at its width. So Jesus, in the middle of no- the night, in a in a storm, sees three and a half miles. Uh, you know, it's all all miraculous in and of itself. And then Jesus goes out to the goes out to the boat, walks on water. Peter, you know, if you put up, put together all of the accounts, Peter steps out of the boat, uh, begins to sink. Whenever he's paying attention to the wind and the waves, Jesus lifts him up. They step back into the boat. Jesus calms down the the, the, the storm. Uh, you need Jesus in your boat. Let's all stand and sing. I mean, that's that's uh, that, that's the purpose behind um, you know that that event. Um, and then even beyond that, Jesus says the the bread of life. Mm-hmm. You have those who are following Jesus from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other, and who want to make him king by force. Um, many of these are zealots um, who are wanting to revolt. They're wanting to lead a revolt against Rome. What better general to have leading your army than a general who can heal the sick, raise the dead, and multiply food like this guy? Uh, that's what they're after. Perfect. And uh, what's that? Perfect. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. That's, that's the guy you want. Um, and even going further, um, Jesus as the, uh, the good shepherd in John chapter 10, uh, connecting with what we've been looking at and, and what we're going to look at again in, uh, in Psalm 23. Uh, but let's, let's kind of work our way through um, a, a few different high points that I, that I didn't um, focus upon just in the, in the reading. Uh, one of the first things I, wanna, I want to consider is that as Jesus sees the people, he immediately shifts his focus from what he had intended to do with just him and his disciples to taking care of their needs. If you look at some of the other gospels, uh, the, the, the text will read, Jesus saw them as sheep without a shepherd. He has compassion. He has compassion upon them because that's what, that's what a good shepherd mm-hmm. does. And so he sees them as sheep without a shepherd and he has compassion upon them and he provides them with, with food. But he turns to Philip. He turns to Philip and says, 
uh, hey, uh, why don't you get them something to eat? <laughs> yeah. Um, Kurt, I know you've got some some thoughts just just in regard to just in regard to to, to Philip. Um, I do. And I think that'd be good to share. Just an apologetics moment on the reliability of the Gospels as historical documents, and to show you that mythical accounts of what happened don't talk like this. So first of all, this event is in all four of the Gospels, which in terms of miracles that are in all four, I think just the resurrection is the only other miracle. I may be leaving one out. That means it's important. So this is recorded in all four Gospels, and we can kind of look at some of the other ones for context. But we get in John 6, 5, Philip, who's hardly mentioned anywhere else, yep. for some reason Jesus turns to Philip in John and says, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, where did this happen? John doesn't say where this event happened. We got to go to Luke. In Luke verse 9, 10, it says, When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. So he had just sent out the apostles. They came back. They were telling them all the great stuff they did. They're tired. Like you mentioned, they're going to some place to repair. Mm -hmm. But Luke includes the city, Bethsaida. So they go by Bethsaida. And we learn in John 12 later on, uh, it says, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with the request. Just kind of mentions, mm -hmm. just mentions in John 12, hey, this guy's from, Gal from Bethsaida in Galilee. You put all that together, Jesus turns to Philip, and you wouldn't notice it in John chapter 6 unless you'd kind of done all this. Mm -hmm. Well, now you know why he turns to Philip. He's like, oh, this guy's from, this guy's from Bethsaida. Hey, hey, where should we go to get them something to eat? Now, Jesus knows what he's going to do, but it makes sense that he would turn to the guy from Bethsaida and say that. And just a brief note that if these are myths, four different mythical accounts from four different authors don't unintentionally interact like that. Hmm. If you're going to look at myth and you've got a different mythological account of the same event by different authors, to have those sort of interwoven details is astounding, and it is evidence for the accuracy of the Gospels as historical documents. Mm -hmm. So that, that's on the four different accounts. Now, when you mentioned John kind of comes along and, and says all this other, you know, a lot of other things that maybe the other Gospels didn't have, it reminds me of uh, a meme that I probably shouldn't have been looking at because I'm wasting time. If you go back to last time we talked, I should have been memorizing Psalm 23, but instead I'm on Instagram and there's a funny Christian side I follow and it's got a meme and it's got three guys in suits and they're all kind of looking at this fourth guy who's dressed like real flamboyantly, you know, he's on all these colors and, and there's these three straight neck guys in suits and they're looking and it says Matthew, Mark, Luke and they're all looking at John. <laughs> John's all, all flamboyant. Uh, not to denigrate John, but it's just, you know, funny Christian nerd humor there that John, you know, John adds a lot of a lot of things that you just don't see in the other Gospels. But on this account, dovetails perfectly. Mm -hmm. And you don't see that in myth. So that's just a little note on Philip. Yeah, and it's, it's uh, as you've said, it's, it's a helpful apologetic just to recognize that, that Scripture affirms itself. And for us to, to recognize that whenever we have this, uh, you know, we, we, we believe Scripture to be valid and true. Um, but there are those who do not. And there are, are moments that we can point to just if a person is open and willing to just recognize how all of, all of Scripture is, is, is woven together and how there's no contradiction within it and for how the, the ultimate orchestrator of, of Scripture is, is God. And sometimes if a person is willing to have that conversation with you, it can, it, 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 who knows? It, it could be just that next step 
in an affirmation of God being the one who puts all of this together. And I like the image of Matthew, Mark, and Luke who are, who are saying, we've, we've, we've got the information, we've got the facts. Yeah. And then you've got John over here who, you know, some, some have referred to the Gospel of John as a, as a spiritual gospel. And it's not as if the others are not, mm -hmm. but John really does emphasize the supernatural, the spiritual, um, the mythical component to the ministry of Jesus. And um, you know, John, John is present for these moments. And John is also, um, John's an old man whenever he writes mm -hmm. this. Um, he's writing decades, he's writing decades later. Um, I, I would say if I understand um, the, the, order of, the order of occurrences, John's the only apostle that's left alive when he writes the Gospel of John. And so as an old man, he's thinking back and he's, he's filling in some of these gaps. And to include, you, have, you know, Philip, and we might just tend to just kind of, you know, breeze right uh, yeah, through that. Turn to a disciple, whatever, uh, Philip. Yeah. John really helps, I think, within, within this account to, uh, with, with, well, within his Gospel, but we, we're seeing it here. Um, he, uh, even though he's pointing to these signs, these miraculous signs, um, he's also, he also humanizes Jesus. Um, and John, who's writing much later, is, is trying to elevate to an audience in the late part of the first century that's really struggling with how can God be both, how could Jesus be both God and in human? They, mm -hmm. re they really struggled with that. And, and so John is, is humanizing Jesus in this, in, the, in that here, here is God in the flesh, who sees the bigger picture, but who also is spending time with his friends as they as they regroup and as they mourn together. John's the one that'll give us in a few chapters Jesus weeping mm -hmm. at at uh, at the scene of, of Lazarus's death, um, not because he doesn't know what's about to occur, but because he sees the he's experiencing and he's a part of this impact that the fall of humanity has upon, upon, upon humanity. And maybe even, maybe even we see a little bit of, uh, uh, when I see sarcasm in Jesus, it helps me because I can affirm the use of sarcasm in my own life. And so he, he, Jesus is asking Philip, hey, um, think you can get food for all these, yeah. all these you know, tens of thousands of people? And uh, Jesus, knowing what, he, knowing what he had in mind to do, ask him anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe he does that to, to help uh, affirm or further Philip's faith but Philip, you know, answers, "Hey, eight months wages wouldn't buy enough, buy enough bread." Um, and so you have Jesus take this boy's sack lunch, five small barley loaves, two small fish, and you know Simon Peter's brother Andrew, who says, "I mean, we've got this. How far will it go?" Now, mm -hmm. two schools of thought: mm -hmm. is is he coming to Jesus saying, "Hey"? We saw John chapter two. We saw the whole water and the water and the wine thing, and uh, you know, and even in that scene, you have Mary who says, who tells everybody, just do what he says. He's going to do something cool. I don't know. So he, it happened he, before. He, he's yeah. going to do something. Trust him. Just do what he says. Mm -hmm. um, and so, two schools of thought here. You know, are they bringing this sack lunch um, just because they're trying to just do what he says, or do they do they anticipate? Hey, we don't know what he's going to do. But he's going to do something, something big, and of course Jesus, Jesus does. Verse ten, Jesus says, "Have the people sit down." And here's where we begin to connect to to what we see in Psalm twenty-three. Uh, this is the the purpose behind turning here to, to John chapter six. 
in, in Psalm 23, this, this beloved psalm, the psalm that we turn to again and again, it, it appears as John is writing this and as these events unfold here at the feeding of the 5,000, this is a, a real-life portrayal, a real-life acting out um, of, of Psalm 23. Uh, and I think it, it connects even whenever, whenever John lets us know it's, it's, it's the time of Passover. So it's, it's springtime. Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. And the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. And we turn to Psalm 23 and we read, The Lord is my shepherd. Jesus who saw them as sheep without a shepherd. who He has compassion upon them. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Now the whole point in the feeding of the 5,000 is these people have, have pursued Jesus wanting to wanting to learn from him, also maybe wanting to be able to make him king by force to lead them for their own purposes. But they've gotten to a point to where, okay, it's, it's close of day, they're, get, they're getting hungry. I, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. John is very intentional, and even if you look to the other gospel accounts, there's this intentionality of, of green grass, it's springtime. And so Jesus has them, even instructs them, sit down, take a load off, mm -hmm. um, and instructs them to, to sit down in this green grass. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Verse 2 of Psalm 23, he leads me, he guides me, leads me, he guides me beside quiet waters. Where are they at? They're, they're on the shore of the Sea of, of Galilee. He leads me beside, uh, and even as we looked at, at Psalm 23 last time we were, we were together, um, there's, there's tranquility in this description of the water. There's, there's peace. There's stillness. Jesus instructing them to, to lie down in this green grass, to, to sit down. And then as they're beside the Sea of Galilee, and he's, he's instructing them, he's guiding them, he's leading them. He's going to provide for them physically, but the whole point is he's providing He's providing spiritually. Uh, he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This is, what, this is what David ascribes to God. This is who God is. And here's God in the flesh providing for, for those who are present. Um, this, these, these, providing these miracles but the purpose behind the miracles is to point toward the reality that God is God, to point toward the reality that Jesus is God's Son, and what He's doing and accomplishing in His ministry is, is true and is valid. And if you're willing, if we're willing to see this as a fulfillment of, an acting out of, Psalm 23, Leads me beside quiet waters, lie down in green grass, guides me in paths of righteousness, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, you spent some time last in our last episode just talking about sheep, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and the, the terrain of, of uh, mountains and valleys, and that's a, it's a different, sort of, different sort of deal um, in the, the danger that's, that's present. And even the language of Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Here they are in this valley, mountains surrounding them. Jesus will go up on the mountainside to pray. Mm -hmm. 
um, as, as the, the, the subsequent events occur of uh, walking on water and, and all of that. But here they are surrounded by mountains. They're on this valley below by the Sea of, of Galilee. And Psalm 23, I will fear no evil, even though I'm surrounded, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And here's, here's the Prince of Peace. Here's, here's God in the flesh providing for, for them in this moment and, in, and also giving us the ability to be able to learn of, of who he is. And so Jesus multiplies this boy's sack lunch. Um, everyone eats until they are they're satisfied. Um, then Jesus says to, uh, let's see here, verse 11, Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, uh, and we kind of has an element of communion, does it not? Mm-hmm. Jesus takes the loaf, uh, loaves, he gives, he gives thanks. Um, I intended in our last episode, so I guess maybe it's, it's, it's good that we're following, following with this one. When we were talking about table, which is where we're going to go here in Psalm 23, you know, there's, there's an element of communion there. You know, we, we anticipate gathering in eternity and sitting down at the table of the Lord, but we, we sit down at the table of the Lord with Him every single week you know, as, we, as we come to the table in, in communion. And so there's this, this language of communion here. And look, Jesus took the loaves, He gave thanks, He distributed it to those who were seated. Now this didn't just, this, this wasn't as quick as communion, right? right. Um, I mean, this, this, this took a while. Um, and then after, after they ate, uh, those who were seated, they distributed distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And you look in the other gospel accounts. I mean, however much however much you you want to eat, um, eat, be filled, be satisfied. Comes back to the last episode with the Beatitudes. You know, the, the, those who hunger, hunger and, thirst, and thirst, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I think it connects with verse five. You prepare a table before me. Now, there, there's no physical. This is not like a picnic sort of lunch, right? Right. There's, there's, you're not, we're, not, we're, not, we're not going to Harry Myers and there's picnic tables already, already provided. You prepare a table before me uh, in the presence of my enemies. Anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. You know, there's blessing that's over, overflowing. Surely goodness and love will follow me all of the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, let me stop there. Thoughts, Kurt, just as far as kind of a consideration of John 6 and the connection between John 6 and then Psalm 23. Right. So you anoint my head with oil, my Mm. cup overflows. So it is this provision that God has. And we see this throughout. We've talked about it before on on our podcast and on this stage here is that physical provision is so much an afterthought for God. And it's an afterthought for Jesus. And you can think of so many examples. This is one of them. Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gather them up. They fill 12 baskets, 12 baskets. I don't know how big the baskets were, but they start with a sack lunch, two fish. I can't imagine the fish were deep sea fish. So that's two fish are probably pretty small fish, some sort of freshwater fish, or it's a trout or something. And five loaves of bread. Don't know how big a loaf was, but it's probably not a Costco double bag Uh -uh. loaf. It's it's a loaf. So they start off with something pretty meager. And what do they end up with? They end up with 12 baskets full Left over. I mean, this is God making a point, and to me, using almost using physical hyperbole and saying, "Don't hunger, don't thirst. I will take care of your physical needs." So much so 
that there's this much left over. So it, and you get back to Jesus, Peter saying, hey, we got to pay this tax. And Jesus saying, just go fishing. Hmm. Catch a fish, the money's in the mouth. I mean, Jesus just, money and physical things were an afterthought. It was about reaching people in, in the spiritual realm for him. And then the final example is in the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about, look at the birds of the air. They, you know, they don't toil or spin, or the flowers don't toil or spin, but the birds of the air aren't worrying. Uh, the, you are so much more important than these sparrows. And I, I think of a poem, and I don't, I don't, I don't know the poem, but I, so I can't rhyme it. But there's a, a poem about two sparrows talking to each other, and they're looking at this, this man, and they're saying, why is that guy so nervous? Why is he so anxious? What's wrong with him? And the one sparrow says to the other, well, he must not have a god like us sparrows have. Wow. Yeah. So the sparrows are saying, why is that guy nervous? Well, he must not have a God like we have. We just don't know. The sparrows trust in God. So this physical provision, the, the, the amount left over is just an afterthought. And when you parlay that into Psalm 23, anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. And then it goes on. Surely in goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. One thought on the valley is... So they're in a valley, mm -hmm. and Jesus providing. This is kind of, to me, brings up these green, green pastures and still waters. And then what happens right next is they have a trial. So there we, we could, if you wanted to continue the analogy, uh, whether it's appropriate or not, it's enjoyable. You continue the analogy, and you get into, well, the disciples are now in the valley of the shadow of death. Mm -hmm. And we make fun of them in some of the other Gospels because we get more detail on this is their stomping ground. They're from Galilee, they're fishermen, and they're afraid of, mm. of the waves. Mm. So this must have been a pretty mm. bad storm. Mm -hmm. So they are walking through the valley of the shadow of death in their minds, and Jesus just comes walking on water to them, and with his staff collects them. They were glad. They immediately got in the boat, or they, they got into the boat, and immediately they're at the land to which they were going. So this is Jesus or God coming in and providing that shepherd's care to the disciples. We focused uh, in the last episode in Psalm 23 of provision and blessing. Those are kind of two words that we kept coming back to, you know, provision and, and blessing. And of course, we, of course, we see it here, um, Jesus, Jesus providing uh, and, Jesus, and Jesus blessing. Now, there, so there are, there are all of these masses of people who, who, have been, who have been traveling by foot, most likely, right? So Jesus has come across the Sea of Galilee, and they're coming around on foot. They intersect him on the on the other on the other side, and then Jesus Jesus provides for them, and they start thinking to themselves, "Hey, this this is, yes, this is the Messiah, but this is the right Messiah. Mm -hmm. This is this is the guy that we want leading us in this rebellion against Rome." And Jesus and his disciples disciples go to sail across the Sea of Galilee. Jesus walks on water. He meets them halfway. They continue the journey. They go to the other side. And then this, these masses of people yeah. you know, find, find themselves back around to the other side, right? And then you look at the, the later part of, uh, of, of chapter, chapter 6, and you've got Jesus who says, I'm the bread of life. And again, it's, it's, it's communal language. It's mm -hmm. table. It's the language of table. And then Jesus has this really short sermon that I don't I don't I don't know um, that I don't know for sure, but I suspect this is not the first time Jesus has given this sermon. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. 
I think that was like, this was Jesus's go-to sermon when he was ready for everybody to leave, you know? <laughs> and even whenever he starts down this road of, I'm the bread of life, and if you're going to participate in what I'm about, you're going to eat my flesh and you're going to drink my blood. And I don't know, I envision as Jesus begins this message to the crowds, his disciples are going, no, not again. We, we, we had such a good following. And, and every time you, you, know, they, you, you make them all leave and it's just us again. And, and, but Jesus speaking to the masses, many of whom are Jews, mm-hmm. and who just can't, you look at the text in, in, in John 6, and they just can't, and they just can't handle it. They mm-hmm. just, they just can't deal with it. And, and again, it's it's communal language. You know, we we fast forward to the upper room in Jerusalem on the night before Jesus is betrayed, on the night before he's he's crucified. Uh, we fast forward to um, what we participate in with communion every week and understanding the the body and the blood of of Jesus. But it was such. A, a foreign and a wild concept um, for, for the Jews of the day that they just couldn't handle it. And so here you have the masses that are following Jesus. You have this, this enactment of, of Psalm 23 and they intersect Jesus on the other side of the Sea of Galilee and He's like, all right, let me, let me see how serious they really are. If you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to belong to, to me, then uh, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And if you, if you look at the text, it says that it was, it was too much. Yeah. And they all leave. And they all leave except for who? They all leave except for, except for the disciples. And Jesus even turns to them, and I love it. Jesus turns to them, and he's like, all right, you're not going to leave too? I mean, come on. Yeah. Everybody, everybody else is gone. And aren't you going to leave? And of course, you know what is what is what does Peter say? How are we supposed to do that? You have the you have the words of you eternal have, life. Yeah, the words of eternal life. Yeah. And this this building upon this this bread that comes down from heaven, uh, the connection, of course, you know, there with uh, um, with um, Israel and manna, and you know God providing for His people um, when they can't provide for themselves. Um, this just it's, a, it's, a, it's the continuity of who God is throughout the ages. But I wanted for us to turn here today and to, to spend some time in John 6 because of how I just think it beautifully mirrors or echoes uh, Psalm 23, this beloved psalm, the psalm that we turn to again and again. And maybe for us to see ourselves here in John 6, to see ourselves for, for our but our proclivity to, to want to be self-sustaining and our need for God and for Christ, our good shepherd, to, to provide for us the things that we need if we're, if we're willing. But also there's, a, there's, a, there's an element of, of commitment. Are we committed to, to doing um, what he intends for us to do and for acting in the ways that he intends for us to act and relying upon him and trusting in him? in the ways that he's provided. Uh, Kurt, any final final thoughts? Yeah, just a closing thought on the historical component. I, and I want to underscore, you talk about the, the all the people leaving when he mentions bread of life. That's verse 15, perceiving that they were about to take, come and make him king by force, Jesus withdrew again in the mountain. I, 
the zealotry of the zealots and of mm -hmm. the Jews of that age, I don't want the I don't want you to underestimate that. If you've I, and I didn't fully appreciate that until I started learning about zealots and and I read the fictional account Ben Hur, uh, if you, famous movie I think with Charlton Heston. I haven't seen the movie yet, but I've I've read the book and whoa what. Well, I haven't seen the movie, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I read the book. Oh, I have to do the book before the movie. Gotcha, right? okay. And from what I've heard, this is one of the few movies that lives up to the book. So I'm excited about, about seeing the movie. But uh, Ben-Hur spends his whole time on these political goals. And it's this put the hatred that the Jews had for the Romans. I mean, they viewed them as dogs that were in their city. And it's a generational hatred. And it comes to fruition in AD 70 when there's this revolt and Jerusalem gets torched to the ground by Rome, but the Jews fought. I mean, yes, they got completely obliterated in the end, but it was a fight, and some say close to a million deaths just in historical estimates. So there's this generational hatred for the Romans by the Jews. They want this political, they've got a political goal, get us out from Rome, and they intertwine that with a godly goal. Uh, it's so that we can have our nation, we're a people of God, it's our temple. So it's this somewhat of a godly goal dressed up in polit or political goal dressed up in godly terms. Mm -hmm. Sounds a little bit like today sometimes. And Jesus completely takes him away from that. Yeah. And he says, oh, wait, uh, you, you want me for your political ends. Okay. And then he says the hard saying and they all disperse. Just a little bit of a message that speaks to me today in our current political climate where we have political goals that may be dressed up in a little mm -hmm. bit of godly language. Yep. And how Jesus reacted to that theme, he didn't take very well to it. Closing thought. You know, with, uh, with the disciples themselves and just seeing how if we're placing ourselves in their shoes and trying to better understand their journey in understanding this Messiah, this rabbi that they're, that they're following, um, they struggle too. They, 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 uh, up, up, until, up until the resurrection, um, even though they know that he's God in the flesh, they know that he's true. Up until the resurrection, they, they, they struggled. And John's the first one to point us in that direction. John will even insert these little parentheticals in his gospel account. We were clueless. We were clueless until after the resurrection. Mm -hmm. And especially in regard to this physical sort of, sort of kingdom or empire. And even within their own journey as disciples, you've got Simon, who, not Simon Peter, you have Simon the Zealot. Mm -hmm. And who of of all of them, they, and they were all they were all looking for a militaristic leader. Or even though Jesus was telling them that's not what this is about, it's the reason why the apostle Peter, whenever Jesus says, "I'm going to go to a cross um, and be crucified at the hands of of evil men," the apostle Peter says, "No way, it's mm -hmm. not going to happen to you. I, I, I know what you can do." It's the reason why the apostle Peter brings a sword to a prayer meeting. But even within all of them, you've got Simon, the zealot, who. I envision with with especially with the other zealots that are there, who Simon's like, yeah, yeah, that, this this is about to this is what this has been about, and uh, of course that's not that's not the way that's not the way of Jesus, and then to even look at those disciples, the twelve of them with their varied backgrounds, with their varied understandings of who Jesus is, with their varied aspirations or life goals or worldviews, Jesus brings all of them together. And then at the, end of, at the end of this scene, he's still asking them the same question he's asking me. Okay, uh, others aren't sticking around. Are you? Are you going to continue to stay to stay with me? And again, to look at this with the backdrop of that provision and blessing that we see in, in Psalm 23. I just didn't want to, uh, 
in, in, in our exploration last time, the systematic study of Psalm 23, I didn't want us to not spend a little bit of time this time in looking at how it gets played out in, in John chapter 6. All right, with that, I want to close with a, with a prayer, but rather than my own prayer, I think uh, I want to ask you just to bow your head, eyes closed, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to conclude with a reading of one more time of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all of the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. Uh, we ask you to continue this journey with us. And I uh, hope that you have a very good day.